What's up, everybody? Welcome in to the OBR Film Breakdown. It's your Thursday, September 15th episode, and man, I think we have a good one. The schedule for this show, this podcast, is one that I'm a huge fan of this year. I'm going to teach you all about what we have going on for every Thursday episode this season here in just a little bit. Before we do so, though, I want to remind you of things going on at the OBR, uh, both show-wise and written content. If you missed last night, there was the OBR Weekly with Fred Greetham and Barry McBride. Did an excellent job. We wrote up the Browns rookie kicker, well-deserved Cade York as the AFC Special Teams Player of the Week in his NFL debut. Fred Greetham wrote up some stuff on the two-back system with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, uh, talking about some quotes and Amari Cooper not being on the field today. So all of the camp insights from Fred are available there. We have the OBR Analytics, which is up for the week one recap, talking about Donovan Peoples-Jones and some snap count elements that are interesting from Anthony Reinhardt. And then we also will have things up for your Thursday viewing pleasure, like a look ahead for you via analytics and some players on the Jets that the Browns will have to stop. Let's kind of transition to today's show and what this is going to be in perpetuity on Thursdays. I think we have a nice alignment. If you have not paid attention this week, again, a reminder of the schedule, you're going to get your Monday review pod from the TV angle, sort of immediate reactions. Tuesday, all 22 comprehensive breakdown, both sides of the football. Wednesdays, I'm going to have Jared Mueller on for you. We're going to kind of look at some burning questions from the Browns game and and season as the year wears on. We're going to welcome in Jordan Zerm here in just a moment. Jordan will be on on our Thursday episode. And what we're going to do as we get into Thursday, kind of removed three days removed from the game, is talk about a minute or two, give Jordan the platform to talk about what he thought about the game. Then we're going to talk about some broader NFL things, which is not something I have done on this podcast all too much, looking around the NFL, because I think there's just a fun a bunch of fun things to chat about there. And then we'll back in the podcast with a little bit more of looking ahead at the Jets and just some talking points about that before, obviously, John Colosimo joins me on your Friday episode where we end up talking about how we think the Browns beat the Jets. You get a Saturday behind enemy lines episode with very detailed information about the opponent coming up on that Sunday. And then you get your Sunday game day podcast. So that's what you're looking at. That's your uh, that's your menu of content for the OBR film breakdown for the season that I'm very excited about. I think it brings a great perspective for everybody listening to this show, uh, what you can expect and who you can expect on the show. And I think it'll be great. Now, we'll adjust course with a Thursday game the following week. Uh, those of you who uh, have heard me talking about playback and what we do, we we are unable to do Thursday games right now because they're only on Amazon Prime and they're being difficult with the playback company for us to do that. I will keep you apprised to that situation as it evolves, but hopefully can get more of those up and running for Thursdays because those are great games to, to, to discuss. And we're going to talk, Jordan and I, about that Thursday game here in just a moment. I'll welcome Jordan into the show. Uh, talk to him here in just a moment. Before we do that and welcome him in, I am going to take a quick break. We're from our sponsors and then we'll welcome Jordan. In. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Pumped to have you here, Jordan. Thanks for coming by, man. This is going to be a great weekly spot, dude. Thank you. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. Um, you know, I think we were always meant to do a to do a weekly pod episode together. So, you know, I had to I had to go away and become a company man, an NFL company man for a few years. But uh, I've left the suits behind, uh, and I can you know I can get a little wild and spicy with you. So it's uh, it's good to be here. Yeah, I think we're going to take advantage of that. Your league wide perspective, covering things for sporting news as you do, and many other aspects that you have done in the past. I think you you bring a good league wide perspective. So. We're going to uh, we're going to take advantage of that with you. And we're going to talk the league, but I want to give you a chance to put out any impressions, takeaways. Now, three days removed from the Browns, man, I don't know what other way to call that game than it's just a roller coaster of, of wild, like just roller coaster of wild. So, what are you uh, kind of taking away from that Week One endeavor in in Carolina? Yeah, just two quick things. One, I think, is just speaking from a purely just fan perspective, it just thank God they won that game because that had all the characteristics and all the the makings of a very classic, devastating Browns loss. You know, they, they play really well. They get up on an inferior opponent, and then that inferior opponent starts coming back bit by bit. Um, and when they took the lead, and you had you're sort of like okay, can Jacoby Brissett run a two minute drill? My uh, my immediate answer in my own head was no. Like they're going to lose this game, and how devastating of a loss that would have been. Just just to to have to lose, to have to endure losing to Baker Mayfield, and then listening to whatever he had planned to say at a winning press conference because you know he had some things written down ready to go had they won that game. Um, just thank God they just thank God they didn't lose that game. So that for me is one. I think I I've told people I think I blacked out when Cade York hit the field goal. I think I yelled loud enough for my neighbors to send an eviction notice. So hopefully <laughs> nobody uh, nobody puts me out in the street here. But um, so that was that. And then the other thing. I mean, I think it's this is a very simplistic observation, but man, I just don't know if people appreciate the running game and the machinations of the offensive line and just what the Browns do on the ground. I mean, there are some very good running backs in the NFL. Obviously, you know, Jonathan Taylor had a, had a huge start to his season after a, a huge, a huge year last season. Um, you know, Saquon Barkley, nice to have him healthy. Nice to have him running hard again. He had a, he had a big game. So, you know, there's, there's good running backs all over the NFL. I just don't know if anyone is doing, with two running backs that are essentially, you know, Jake, they're just carrying the Brown. They carried the Browns in that game. They're going to carry them until Deshaun Watson gets back. Like, I'm just not sure people appreciate how one, how good both Nick Chubb and Kareem Antar, but just like Nick Chubb's vision is just absurd. The, there is a clip going around um, of one of his runs. I think I saw Nate Tice tweeted. I'm sure you've talked about it. Other people have talked about it where he basically had to like leap over a pile mm-hmm. of bodies. He had to stop. He had to stop, change directions, saw that there was like just a, a like 20 car pile up in front of him. And he had to just like immediately jump over them. And he just does all this stuff without any hesitation. And it blows my mind. Like 
he's I don't know like he's minority report like he's seeing things develop before they actually happen yeah, and it is I like that I think I think you just dude. I would love to give it I wonder if he's seen it I don't know if Nick Chubb's a big movie guy but um he it is like, just what? it really yeah he's like I what? I don't know who that is um but <laughs> yeah so it just would be the best so him and Kareem Hunt just kind of continually blow my mind and I hope I hope Browns fans are appreciative of like what they do on a weekly basis because it really is a pleasure to watch so um that was that was really my big takeaway it's not really like of course yes everybody knows how well they ran but I just think like watching them and then when you get the all 22 and you can really watch like what they're seeing in front of them from that sort of end zone angle it becomes even more impressive of of their vision and and how they see things and the cuts they can make so uh I'm just I'm pumped to watch Chubb and Kareem, who look like they're going to be on the field together a lot, which I'm pretty excited about. So uh, that was my biggest thing. I equated it. I visited another pod last night to like somebody was saying about the two of them. And they're like, yeah, they got two guys who are lead. I said, no, they got two top 10 running backs here. Let's just call it what it is. People forget how good Kareem is. He's gifted. He had a touchdown catch for 50 yards that just didn't hit his hands. Like he's gifted. He's extremely gifted. And I kind of said, now, the Browns won't play everybody on the schedule this year where they can just physically manhandle you up front. Um, they'll play some... And the, and the Jets defended Baltimore's run game pretty well, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But for the most part, the Browns are going to be able to overwhelm a lot of people with how they run. Not because they're physically stronger, but they have a diverse attack by which they go about fighting the run game. Like, Nick is... To your point, the Minority Report thing is great. I kind of equated to like styles make fights, that phrase. They have yep. Nick, who's this this uber patient. He's like a boxer who is calculating all the time the best punch, the best way to go about it. Rope-a-dope, can defend himself, can get... He's this guy who is finesse and power all in one. He's so special in that way. And they use that way of him manipulating wide zone stuff in such a in such a way that it's... It's really unique, and that's why, like the clips of we become almost, you know, desensitized to how special some of these runs are. I mean, he broke eleven tackles by by Pro Football Focus's calculation, and nobody else had five in the in week one more than five. So, like, he's able to do things via his approach that is so special, and you get used to it, right? The Browns keep running wide zone, they keep running like some tight split zone, they keep doing these things, and then oh, okay, then they bring in Kareem. And then they run duo and they run counter and they're downhill. They're gapping us. We're going to space out and try to defend the wide zone stuff. Okay. Says Callahan and, and Stefanski. That's cool. We're just going to gap down and pull a guy. Now we're going to gap down and pull two people. We're going to pin pull you because we realize you're playing 26 snaps of man coverage in week one. You're going to chase that guy. We're going to pull up around and we're going to have people downhill quick. So you get like this way of defending the run with Nick Got to be ready for wide zone. Got to be ready to handle this, that, and the other. Then you get Kareem, and it's like downhill duo in your face. Kareem is a bruiser. He's right on top of you before you know it. And it's like, man, when they're really rolling and they have these two guys healthy, the O-line is healthy, and these two coordinating the run game, like the phrase, like they're in their bag, they're, they're, they're just making you bend to their will. And then like that's what you think of. Okay, and then they get this quarterback, gifted quarterback back eventually. How do you defend it? How how do you defend it? Because you're not going to have the the situations in week one that were wide open because the quarterback missed it. So you're talking about if these guys remain healthy and if the quarterback that's better comes back later in the year, 
you can see how this picture that they have of what this looks like comes to fruition because, and again, like I said, they're going to play teams that have equal talent and they can't just, you know, push them around as they did with Carolina. And we'll see how they do in these first four. But like when they're doing that, what they were doing in week one, it's special and people overlook it because man, they'll throw one running back with one style at you and he'll cut you to pieces. Nick, Nick Chubb will paper cut you to pieces before you just let him he breaks one off. And then Kareem is like, Oh, you want to sit back a little bit and play the run game slow? Well, we're going to run this duo for 24 yards and like, it's just, it's special. It's a lot of fun. And it's really a a lost art in, in the modern era of football. And the Browns have decided, I'm sure they sat in their rooms, Jordan, like, everybody's zigging. We're just going to zag this thing. I think we got two special guys and special guards and we're drafting this tackle and we have enough here that we can go about this in a weird way. And oh yeah, we can get a really good quarterback now too. Oh, okay. We can win games in a broad variety of ways. That's what they're going for. Yeah, it's um, that's really well said. I love the the difference in styles that, that you point out there and, and how they run different ways and how that really keeps the defense on its heels. And honestly, it's like, you know, you mentioning the, the kind of, you know, zigging when the rest of the league is sort of like pass, 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 which, you know, of course, in, in certain situations, the Browns will be like that, too. But it reminds me a little bit of like what the Cavs did last year, where they found two. you have to have the right people. You have to have really, really special players to sort of, you know, rewind the clock a little bit and play in a way that has become almost obsolete. But like the Cavs did it because they had Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, who are two it like look like from the outside these traditional big men and they're anything but they move in ways that you know big men shouldn't be able to move they they have offensive games they can cover the entire court because they are so mobile for their size so it works because they're not typical big men so you can play with two big guys on the court when really you shouldn't be able to anymore but they do it because they're just these very special different players and i think like that same thing applies for kareem and nick like yes they are running backs by the technical definition but the way they run and how they can keep both of them fresh that's another thing you know that that is such a luxury to be able to have two like you said top 10 backs you can rotate in and out that can keep each other fresh throughout a whole season where they're going to be leaned on and like they just run in very special ways and the Browns can use them that way because they aren't just these random running backs who who get tired and maybe after a couple of snaps are like I can't actually cut in the way that I want to. I mean, the Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt can do this all game. And so I think like, I, I love that point about the, the zigging when the league is zagging because they can do it with guys that are this special. And it is really just like, it's wild to have them both on the same team. It's like having, I'm going to make every Cleveland sports metaphor I can right now, but it's like, you know, it's like having Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez when they were in the same lineup. And now you realize like how insane that was to have a handful of years where they were, you know, two, three in the order. So uh, it's, it's just really fun to watch. You want to you want to really tie this together. Who arrived in Cleveland today? Donovan Mitchell. Now the Cavs have two guards, diverse skill set. What do they have? Two guards up front. Joel and 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 why? See what we're doing here. This is why you guys come to this pod. See what we're doing, you know? folks. That's what we're doing for the people. This is so, why you yeah. listen to. This is why you listen to us. It's for this type of stuff. It is, man. But I'm I'm like not everybody can do this. Not it's not like the Jaguars can just. Yep. Oh, I like that style the Browns are doing. Let's do that. They can't. And the Browns aren't banking on this. Like I think. It doesn't need to even be said, but I'll say it. If they were banking on this, they would have just signed Baker Mayfield back at a certain point of money and just said, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of figure it out. At court. No, they know that it's a quarterback league and the AFC is driven by this and you need a guy who on third and pass predictable the games against the, you know, up, up in the air and you need a quarterback who could create things. And they knew that they did that. They risked everything that's been well documented 
to still do that despite having the guards and the backs that we're talking about here. But this is why I think they were so, air quotes, desperate to do it because they know if they get all of this in the same direction, the window can still be open to doing this with Joel and Wyatt for two or three years. And if you can keep Kareem around for another year or two after this one, and you got Nick for two or three, like that's a real window. Denzel, Miles, they're in their prime. They see it that way. So you talk about, well, why don't they just commit to the run? Well, because that's not how modern football is always played. It's fun to be able to do that. And there are weeks you can do that, but there are also weeks where teams beat you up up front. They take away some of your favorite run concepts and, oh yeah, it's third and nine. We need to hit a three-step drop here and be able to handle this, this concept. Or they even take away that third and pass concept. Do you have a guy who can create something out of thin air? That's why they did what they did. So um, they're zigging when everyone else is zagging, partly because they landed the people to be able to do that. They cap, I think they capitalized on that window. They now have multiple ways to win football games, which is necessary. As we know, even the best of the best, the chiefs are the perfect example last year of, Hey, we can rely on this generational talent quarterback, but it's not going to always work out. We got to be able to do some different things here. That's what they spent their entire off season planning around. And, and like, Football is not a one-size-fits-all thing. So the Browns have tried to manipulate and bring in as many different elements to doing that, putting points on the board as uh, as possible. So, you know, 16 minutes on that game that I, I didn't think we'd spend 10 on, but, man, that, that I think we covered it. I do think that that's really exactly the approach that they've taken to their offense, in my, in my opinion. You correct me if I'm wrong. No, I, you're 100% right. And, you know, I think the last thing to say here is to, to your point about, yeah, if they, if they simply thought they could win a Super Bowl with, uh, you know, on the backs of, of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, exactly, they would have just brought Baker Mayfield back. And, but you see what happens even when you run as well as they did, Jake. They were in position to lose that game because they did not get um, – they got a very average to, to below average performance from their quarterback, and their passing game struggled. So – that's what happens. You know, the, the people that you can cry, you know, I think you, you might have even said this on Twitter and or somebody else did, but it's like, yeah, you can, they can't run the ball every down, you know, like it's just, that's not, that's not a reality. That's not a feasible thing that is, that is going to result in success. So you have to be able to throw the ball and when you can't, and when, you know, you're, you can't, you're not accurate on some third downs and, and then all of a sudden your offense is off the field, like you allow a team to, you know, through some blown coverages, albeit, but you allow a team to hang around and have a chance to come back. So that's why it's so exciting to think about what, you know, not just good quarterback play, but even, you know, hopefully elite quarterback play, you throw that into the mix with the run game. And then it's like, then what do you do? So um, that the, the need for the ability to pass, even when you're running like an elite football team, I think like there's no better example than what we just watched on Sunday. So um I think that's a very salient point that you made. Yeah, perfectly stated from both ends. Let's um, let's move on. We we put a bow on that Browns win. Like you said, it would have been utterly terrible to have played as well as they did and lost that game. So I'm glad they figured out a way to win. And shout out to Cade York. So that that was shout out to Cade Uh, York, man. Yeah. Well, make sure to illuminate this this listener base about your fantasy football team name. I think that's pretty pertinent. Yeah, so I uh, I had to make it a point to draft Cade. One just for because it's fun, but two because he also is, he got me 16 points. Like that's absurd for a kicker to do. But I uh, I try to find fun um, 
puns with uh, with player names each year, as many people do in their fantasy league. But I try to get pretty creative with it. So my my team name this year is Help Me Unyork This Wine. Uh, and mm. uh, Jake, did I make a uh, a Photoshop uh, creation with a wine bottle and Katie York's head on top of it instead of a cork? Yeah, yeah, I did. Did I spend time and effort on that during uh, a work day? Yeah, I probably did. So. Um, you know, you got to commit to the bit, Jake, and I am I am fully committed. So shout out to Cade for, I still lost, but he did get me 16 points, and that's really what's important. Shout out to Cade, man. Extremely talented. Excited to see how he can continue to build on it. And also the overreaction when he misses his first kick. That will be great, too. Um, <laughs> let's go around the NFL now. So th- this is what we're going to do. Jordan and I are going to pick some topics around the league. They're going to vary week to week. We're going to talk about AFC North teams. We're going to talk about NFC North teams. We're going to go everywhere and hit on highlights of uh of teams uh, either decisions or uh outcomes of games or big season uh overview things and we'll start with i think we got five pretty good topics here so let's start with with what i labeled here as joe turnover uh, welcome back to reality joe burrow the nfl will not always be easy for you and i think joe knows that he's my uh, listen you guys can hate me all you want he's my favorite player in the nfl i just really love joe burrow and and, and uh i don't hide that and it sucks that he's in cincinnati i hated it from the moment I started to dawn on me that the Bengals were going to have the first pick and he was lighting it up at LSU. Um, but they turn it over f- five times. They turn it over five times and Pittsburgh doesn't turn it over at all. The Bengals outgain them 432 to 267. Pittsburgh's leading rusher is Chase Claypool. Six carries, 36 yards. Let that sink in. Najee Harris goes yeah. 10 for 23. Trubisky goes 21 of 38, 194, a touchdown. Pat Fryermuth has like five for 75, Deontay Johnson, 755. My point about this game is, yeah, you can Mike Tomlin it up and, and pound your chest and listen, I Mike Tomlin, again, you, you guys out there might be Pittsburgh haters, whatever, he's a fantastic coach. He's always getting the most out of his teams. But in my opinion, correct me if I'm wrong, this Pittsburgh team is going nowhere. I see them in an under seven and a half win clip. Like that offense is bad. It's going to not get any better, in my opinion. Um you're talking about they're going to struggle all year to put up points. They had four of 15 on third downs. They were anemic. They they didn't turn it over. I'll give them credit there because Cincinnati did five times. But that's what it, that's what it took to win a game 23-20 on a walk-off 54-53 yarder. Um, so this game matters more from a Bengals losing a division game that could haunt them later than Pittsburgh just winning this random game. And I, I'm all about Pittsburgh ruining their chance to pick a great quarterback in this upcoming draft. So. Uh, I, this is this was the perfect outcome, but it also tells me everything I know about Pittsburgh, and I still hate how good Cincinnati will be when they fix that. But Cincinnati also, uh, I should mention, they gave up eight sacks. I mean, did they fix that O line? That's worth discussing. Like, I think that this game was so interesting in that regard. Yeah, uh, to your point of hey Joe, the league is now on notice uh, after you took the Bengals to the Super Bowl, and it, it may be a little bit tougher. I think that's great. I think his his very first throw where Minka Fitzpatrick was just kind of sitting back, I believe, I think they were on cover two on that side, just kind of sitting back, hanging out, and knew exactly where like Joe was going to try to fit that ball in. Uh, and I mean, at the moment he picks it off, you're like, what in the world? But like, I think it speaks to Joe being like, Okay, Jamar Chase is over here. Let me, uh, you know, we tore things up. Let me just sneak, let me get this in here. You know, like a little bit of that confidence, a little bit of that post Super Bowl run. Uh, I, I don't think arrogance is the right word, but you know, feeling yourself about some throws yeah. that you can make. And um, you know, if there is one, um, you know, one weakness of Joe's game, it's his arm strength. He just, you know, he's incredibly accurate, and he, you know, his mind is incredible. But 
you know, he doesn't have the, the, uh, the sort of velocity on the ball that's, you know, that's well known. And, um, so I think sometimes he may, you know, he felt like he could get it in there and that ball flutters a little bit. And, um, Minka, God, man, Minka Fitzpatrick loves the, the pick six is just, is his thing. Um, but I, I love the, I think, first of all, I think the Bengals will bounce back against the Cowboys who are mired in a deep depression after everything that just transpired on Sunday night for them. So I think, I think the Bengals are going to, I mean, as long as, as, uh, as Michael Parsons doesn't completely wreak havoc on that offensive line. And yeah, I mean, that's gotta be a concern for the Bengals. Just per- I mean, Joe has just been under fire every year he's been there from the injury to just trying to keep him upright. So that, that's gotta make Zach Taylor and, and the front office and everybody a little bit nervous, but, um, I think they'll go into, to Dallas and, and pounce on a, a downtrodden team. But I think you're right in that. You know, this is a, a a loss for them that right now may not seem like it matters much, but as as you kind of go down and this division gets tight, it it could play a big part. And um, I, I I just would be remiss though to not just call Pittsburgh's offense the grossest thing I've ever seen. I like Matt Canada's got to be put, he's got to be put away. Like we can't, you know, we can't just have we can't have this. We can't have NFL players playing offense like this. I know it's probably all they can do. But this is just I I just need a cold shower when I watch this offense like these these I mean they were doing it a little bit last year in, in Ben Roethlisberger's last year like these these quick outs these running for two yards just this it's just really difficult to watch and like you said to to have to win a game on a walk off field goal in overtime when you have five turnovers is just you know it says a lot about your offense I'm not sure what they expected um, you know trotting out Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> And I don't know if Kenny Pickett will make that much of a difference. So I just, you know, I think they need to put a warning on the television screen before the offense comes out. You just got to warn people. You're not going to like what you're, you're not going to like what you're going to see. And um, I just don't think children especially should be, uh, should have to watch that that kind of, you know, disgustingness there, Jake. It's just really hard for me. It really makes me upset. They're, we're going to see Pickett sooner rather than later. Not that Absolutely. Trubisky cost them that game or anything, but like, it's just, it, you're, ceiling is so low and they're gonna they're gonna make that happen now whether it happens as soon as thursday night next week i don't think it will starting a rookie quarterback on a thursday but we'll see him at some point probably by the second time these times uh these teams get together cleveland and in pittsburgh we'll see him so um turn the page we'll go to the next nfl uh, blunder which is the nathaniel hackett field goal decision you make all this ruckus in the offseason you trade for russell wilson and I got to throw something at you after we discuss this, but you trade for Russell Wilson's fourth and five in the heart of a, a, a really crazy crowd. And you decide to kick a 64 yard field, 63 yard field goal. Um, you know, it's hard to come across elite quarterbacks in that decision. I just can't, I can't get in line with that, man. I really can't get in line with kicking there, but it's not the worst decision in the world, but I wouldn't have done it. Where are you on field goal gate over in Seattle? Yeah, no, I wouldn't have done it either. I, you know, it actually brings me a lot of comfort that, you know, a man, a person can make sort of the height of his profession. You can get to, you know, head coach, Denver Broncos. This is your chance. It's your moment. And you're just watching in real time as, as a horrendous decision is made. And it brings me a little bit of comfort, Jake, that, you know, even at the highest levels of professional sport, coaches just do things where you're like, oh, okay. You know, they're actually just like normal human beings who may sometimes bend to the pressure and make some of the most absurd decisions you'll ever see. So I just my favorite thing about that was, listen, I understand that McManus has a huge leg and they kept being like, well, one time he made a field goal from 61 yards. Like, okay, 
it just the idea that like that would have been the I don't know second or third longest attempt in NFL history and they were like five yards or should we try to kick it from outside the stadium they're like no you know what let's go let's go for the kick I just sometimes and Jake we've seen a lot of this in our in our tenure as Browns fans sometimes there are decisions that are made that you were just like how did that um how did you guys come together as a group and decide that was the right move? Like it, it can be a little bit mind blowing, um, but it provides great comic relief and great content. So no, I mean, if I'm, I think Russ uh, showed some restraint in the press conference uh, of immediately following that. I half expected him to be like, yeah, I wanted the ball. Why did we do that? Cause he's Russell Wilson. And you know, he's been very vocal about like, this is I, I'm leaving Seattle cause they didn't give me what I want and I'm going to get what I want here. I was like, I, I don't know, Russ. Not yet, man. They're keeping you off the field so they can they can kick a sixty-four yarder. So, uh, you know, I'm glad they did it, Jake. It provides us with content, and content is what the world needs. It's what the world needs. I will say, not that Nathaniel Hackett's a dumb person. People can make bad choices. Happens, but I will say there are dumb people in important positions all over the world. That is, oh, ab- you, absolutely, not a qualifier for getting those jobs. Somehow they find a way to fill them <laughs> with people that can't do them. So um, I heard a theory and listen, this is out in left field, but, but God, I love this theory that the, the corniness of Russell Wilson is because somebody thinks, and he, you know, Russell Wilson, this is like, this is how Russ thinks. Like he's a method actor. Think of guys like Christian Bale or who was another method actor I'm not thinking of off the top of my head. Uh, he's like Joaquin, um, he's like Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix. That's another great one. He's a method actor playing what a quarterback should, in his mind, act like. And I'm like, oh, my God, that is perfect. You know, I like Russ, but some people think he's the corniest dude in the world, which I get because he's doing the fake hand high fives and he's running out and he's out on the field and he's hurt and he's going through no huddle like by himself. And it's just so over the top that like, I thought that theory of him being a method actor, playing a quarterback, what he thinks a quarterback would do is such a hilarious notion that it's like, well, maybe because this is, this dude is, this dude is wild, man. It's like, I I don't know, but people love him. The people around him love him. So uh, maybe it's all not an act, but God, it's funny to sit back and watch from afar. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really like who he is. So yes, it is incredibly corny, but like that he's consistently like that. So I just I, you know, it's hard for me to believe that's like an act and he's just, you know, trying to play it up. I think that's really just him. He's just like that, which is hysterical. But it's funny, like you could imagine he's like if there was a soap opera about a football team and he was the actor playing the quarterback, you know, like that's, it's uh, the, the method acting thing is so good because it's just so like, man, he, you know, he, before the game, he runs out to the 50 so he can, I don't know what he was doing. He had his arms spread towards the heavens. He's like walking around in a circle on the logo at Lumen field. And you're just like, my guy, what are you doing? Like, it's just so over the top that you can't help but laugh at it. Even if he means it genuinely, somebody I think was like, well, what if he was praying? I'm like, I mean, even if he was like, that is just the most hilarious possible way to do it. So um, yeah, I, the method acting thing is an incredible thought. Like where he's just like, you know, it's a, it's an hour before the game starts and he's got to get in character. You know, it's like, it's time to be a quarterback. And then that's what it is. So uh, Russ is going to be Russ, man. We're going to get this all season. So um, I, I look forward to his other national television appearances and, and what else he does this season. 
it's it's going to be fascinating. And it could have been something we were watching because Cleveland was after him too. So um, next topic, Herbert Chargers. He's phenomenal. He's a unicorn. Uh, and in, I mean, like, like we have, we have Josh Allen, we have Herbert going, we have Mahomes going. I think Deshaun can do special things. There are plenty of special guys in the NFL. It's really a borderline golden age of quarterback play right now. Again, uh, he made a, if you can find it on social, he made an absolutely ludicrous throw behind two statue defenders. And what I mean by statue defenders are guys who are not looking back at the quarterback. They're running with a defense, running with a receiver uh, in man coverage or some form of it. And he just puts this 35, 40 yard ball on an absolute. He didn't lob it over the top of him. He put it with this ripped angle right over the helmet of one of the two of the, it's an insane throw. But my, my, my question as they won week one over the Raiders, Kansas city, heavy AFC favorite as well. Uh, beats the, the crap out of, I don't know other way to put it, beat the crap out of the Cardinals and week one, embarrass the Cardinals at home in their home opener. Uh, this is a Thursday night game. Are you pro Thursday night elite football or do you hate that elite games are rushed early in a week and both teams don't have the prep time they need? I can see it from both sides because I want both teams to be as prepared as possible and healthy as possible for like a Monday and a night or Sunday night game. But I'm also tired of like terrible Jets. And I don't mean to say that ahead of Brown's game. I don't know. Give another comparison here like uh, Jaguars and, and, uh, Seahawks this year like those Thursday night games I'm like I'm not into those games so I get both sides where are you on the Thursday night game that's between two elite teams I'm I'm pro it right now I'm pro it week two you know like I think if this was mid-season and they both had some injuries and were banged up and then you're asking them to prepare on a short week then I think I would be out on it because then yeah you're not getting you're not getting what was promised by the names on the piece of paper, you know, like you're, you're getting a, there's a trailer and then the movie's terrible. So um, I, I, but I'm pro week two because one, you know, they, well, the Chargers had a, had a bit of a closer one uh, with the Raiders, but you know, the, the chiefs walked all over the Raiders and I think, you know, are feeling themselves after that. And, you know, the unfortunate thing, if there is a caveat to it, it is that Keenan Allen is not going to play um on thursday night so that is unfortunate and he he got off to a really hot start before he uh, hurt his hamstring uh, last week so that's really a bummer because it's very clear that justin herbert like trusts keenan allen and and really uh, has developed a rhythm with him in year three so like that's a bummer because you'd love to like keenan's still the lead dog as a receiver on that offense but they've got guys all over the place jake they've got guys catching touchdowns i've I've, like i truly haven't heard of before like once you get outside of Mike Williams and Josh Palmer. I'm like, I don't really know who their other receivers are. And they've got these dudes uh, catching balls from Justin Herbert for touchdowns. You're like, sure, I guess, you know, I guess this is an NFL player. So no, I, I I'm pro this. I'm really excited for tomorrow night. Um, and I just think these are the two quarterbacks that, that do things and make the, both of them made throws Jake in week one that are just like, you have to rewind and watch again. You know, Patrick Mahomes had that, that beautiful ball he lofted over two defenders into Travis Kelsey's hands, like running a little over route. And then, yeah, that Herbert touchdown where he's just ripping it, man. He just rips it. Like to have that kind of arm that both of them have where they can just rip these balls that they should not be able to get into windows that they do is just a pleasure to watch. So um, I, I think, so I'm good with it as a week two game, I think, you know, but you get further into the season and then it, it makes it much tougher. And then, 
I would almost watch rather just have bad teams play in those games. So like, you can be like, okay, it's whatever it's Thursday. I'm doing something else. I can watch the real, the real competition on, on Sunday and Monday, but week two, I think is actually the perfect time for this. Okay. I dig it. I like it. Uh, it'll be a fun game. If you can find a way to watch it, uh, that is, uh, it'll be a, it'll be a really good one to, <laughs> to catch. Um, it was always a week one overreaction to, to some teams and there are a lot of candidates. Let me throw you the week one overreaction candidates, in my opinion, that are uh, floating out there for everybody to look at. That These are teams with expectations coming into the year to be good, and they got beat in some form or fashion, some worse than the other. Rams, they're up there. Bears, uh, sorry, the 49ers, who lose to Chicago. Um, who else? I mean, you can't, the Bengals, that game's weird. I'm tossing that one out. And you could probably toss out 49ers, Bears, because that was a monsoon. Like, that was insane. You'd probably toss that that one out. The Eagles giving up 35, winning 38-35. That's a win, but tilt your head a little bit on that one, don't you? Colts are definitely in the discussion. Patriots are in the discussion. Titans, not great expectations, but that Giants game is interesting, right? Um, Packers are in the discussion, getting beat 23-7. And then, you know, Broncos, you can, is a weird return, but you could toss them in. Is there a team that is like, Yo, man, they lost week one, but they're going to be fine. Don't overreact to that one. Is there a team that stands out to you? Yeah, I think out of all of those, um, I think it's probably it's probably the Colts. Like I, you know, I think for them, uh, tying with the Texans was a huge disappointment. Um, I think a lot of the buzz around them in the offseason was like, you know, after a year of the sporadicness that is Carson Wentz and not knowing what you're going to get, like Matt Ryan still a still a really good quarterback like and you know Michael Pittman Jr. has established himself and they've got Jonathan Taylor like I think there was a lot of good feelings um, around that team I think like if you look at what they actually did offensively you know like Matt Ryan threw for 352 and Jonathan Taylor ran for 161 and a touchdown like they they did good things on offense Michael Pittman 121 yards receiving touchdown like it's a good looking box score for them I think where they obviously struggled was, you know, finishing drives. And then they cut their kicker. They cut, they cut Rodrigo Blankenship, my man, with the goggles. Like it is a, it is a cold world, Jake. Now, did he kick two kickoffs out of bounds? Yes, he did. Did he miss a field goal? Okay, sure. But man, like I was reading some stuff and like he had a good season last year. He was a good kicker. He did. Um, and, th- and they said, we'll see you later. So I think with the Colts, like there were between the kicking game and a little bit of the inability to sort of finish some drives, um, it feels like something they can bounce back from. Um, so I think while if you looked at it and you were like, wow, 2020 to, to the Texans, like are we, what's happening with the Colts? I think in, out of all the overreactions, that one for me is like, I think the Colts are probably going to be fine. I don't know if they're going to be, you know, great but i think in terms of like one loss that you can maybe kind of move on pretty easily from i think i think this one might be it yeah colts go jacksonville on the road which is never fun they got beat last year by jacksonville oh, in, in the oh season did they ever and cost them a playoff trip then they go kansas city tennessee denver so it's an interesting start Oof. i'm with you i like a lot of the colts but i will say you know kicker problems can't relate just can't relate to that in any way yeah, shape, or like form. imagine imagine not having a kicker it's just yeah i mean tough. just it's gotta be tough, tough scene tough scene so <laughs> that's around the league we've covered a lot we covered a lot of teams um we'll, we'll have more evidence on teams like the 49ers rams packers and some of the others we've referenced next week 
to see if they're outliers. It, it is always the overreaction stuff in week one that is a ton of fun, especially people just counting out the Patriots who never play well in Miami, never, ever play well in Miami. And people are like, well, are the Patriots done. Well, they, they got a lot of issues, but uh, let's pump the brakes. Still can figure quite a few things out. So that's around the NFL. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to talk a little bit of Jets on the way out the door. We'll be right back. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. So your Cleveland Browns play the New York Jets. Think of a world not too long ago in 2019 on Monday Night Football where we all thought the world was in the Cleveland Browns' hands. They go there. Not in not a pretty game, not a fun game, but they do they do beat the Jets handily. I think that's the last matchup these two teams have had. It's uh, an interesting team, the Jets. They're pretty beat up on these uh, on offense, uh, important positions, offensive line. Zach Wilson's out, which I don't know. Does it really matter that much, you know, with Flacco? I don't know if it's that big of a drop-off. But he's out. You get Flacco. Um, you know, they hung tough with Baltimore. I think they they were – it was a pretty close game at half, Jordan. I'm not totally sure what the um, score was, but I, I remember it, talking about it. I believe it, it was – it was only 10-3 at half. 10-3 uh, at half. Then they gave up two yeah. touchdown throws in the in the third quarter to yes. break it to 24-3, and they scored one late. So they hung relatively tough. I mean, they held Baltimore to 274 yards. That's not nothing. Uh, they outgained them 380 to 274. They just couldn't get out of their own way with some things uh, and, and get into the end zone on some drives. So they're not a team that you can just sleep on. They have talent. I mean, Michael Carter, Brees Hall, the rookie, Corey Davis, Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore. It's a nice wide receiver trio, and, and Tyler Conklin is a nice player. So, you know, they hung tough there. They held – I mean, I, I know Baltimore's dealing with a weird running back situation down Dobbins still, but they held him to – what did they hold him to? 63 rushing yards. Kenyon Drake, 11 for 31, and Lamar, 6 for 17. So it's not a game where the Jets have – you know, it's too early in the year. They're They're chasing things too, so – is this a team that you're worried about? I know you have some Flacco data against Cleveland, although that was a different Flacco in a different era of football in Cleveland. But nonetheless, the data's pretty good for Joe against Cleveland, right? Yeah, it's it's actually pretty wild. I mean, like you said, this is a, a different era of Joe Flacco, and he has been off of the Ravens and and that sort of era of him as a starting quarterback for so long that you almost forget, like, oh, right, every quarterback in the AFC North dominated the Browns, so he probably has a good record. But we actually did this for Sporting News today. A uh, one of my coworkers uh, put this together, and I was like, "Wow!" So he he is in his career. Joe Flacco, seventeen and three against the Browns, because of course he is. Uh, he's he's thrown for almost five thousand yards, and is a QB rating of eighty seven point nine. So pretty good. Um, but again, a lot of that was in his you know quote unquote prime uh, for Joe Flacco, and that is uh, that is no longer the case. I. I mean, Jake, you asked like before we started, like, do, you, do we feel like this is a trap game? And I mean, it does have the the look of a trap game with the type of team that the Jets are and the Browns coming off a fairly emotional win. You know, there was some some stuff said 
uh, and some reactions on the field that, you know, I don't think it's any bit, any, any surprise, but that, you know, there were some emotions still involved with going against Baker Mayfield. So um, yeah, it is, those are the circumstances, Jake, sometimes for a trap game for sure. Um, But I think one, it's the home opener and an addendum to that, the elf is on the field, which, you know, I, am th- overjoyed jake i have wanted we this should have talked about like, this you're you're, you're should, big time team you want to take right? a you want to you want to take a quick detour and talk about this for a second i think we let's should. talk about it for a second yeah i'm you're big time team elf right confirm that for the folks i am huge team elf long live the are you elf. I, are you yeah. team old school elf or new school elf that they put on the field i think i'm i i like old school elf but i do think new school elf is also okay like I am any elf for me, I'm thumbs up. I just, I mostly am when they took the logo off of midfield, I hate, I hated it so much. Like it just made their field look like a high, a high school field, like put a logo, <laughs> even if it's the helmet, like they had before, like put a logo at midfield, man, what are we doing? Like that, it just looks so amateur and bad. So not only do they have the logo back, but it's the elf. I think the elf is awesome. Obviously it's a very polarizing figure. But I tend to gravitate towards sort of like cartoonish, as long as they're not too over the top. And and the brownie is rooted in some history. Like there are people on Twitter who have no idea that like Brownie the Elf was a, a part of the Browns history. Like he's not something they just invented today and somebody drew it and was like, let's have a let's have an elf as part of the Browns. So I'm all for it, man. I used to have a hat, a fitted Browns hat that was just the elf years ago and I wore it all the time. So uh, where do you where do you net out on the on the elf at midfield and the elf in general? I'm I'm pro end zone. Like they had a, a run of nothing in the end zone, no writing. It was terrible. Yeah. I'm yeah. team midfield logo and and I'm team uh, you know end zone logos. They should have. I I'm a believer in having end zones that are full color personally, but that's just me. Um, yeah, I, I've been anti elf a large portion of my time covering the team and growing up. But uh, I've come around. I've come around to like our logo is a friggin' helmet, man. Like it's a helmet, and it's like it's just like there are teams in baseball that are named the Reds and the White Sox. Like th- those are bland too. There there are bland names that like you know I'm I'm a, I'm kind of over the script Browns writing or that mock up dog. Like I think the Elf is something that we should just roll with, stand behind, and go at this point. I have no. I think it should be the forefront of what they're trying to do to, to me personally, it should just, it's fine. Don't put, I don't think you need to change the helmet. The helmet's iconic. You know, I don't think Alabama is ever going to put an elephant on the helmet. So don't mess with the helmet, but you know, like the Cowboys are a star on the helmet. They're not the Dallas stars. Right. So like you got a helmet, it works. People like it, keep that. But I'm fine with the elf as a large part. Like I wouldn't even mind it if they put it on the shoulders, like of the shoulder, like little logos on the shoulder pad or something like just get something. That's not a helmet. I think the helmet thing gets so played out in terms of that's your logo. So I've come around. I don't know. Maybe I've just uh, gained some taste in my older years here. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Yeah. You've you know, uh, kids have changed. Me, a, um, you know? Yeah. The, the, the child has kept you young, has, has changed your perspective. <laughs> uh, the, the, the children that you have over there. So that's great. You know, news. what's interesting. Um, I will say though, they, the, the NFL puts out a Nike brand sideline, sweatshirt every year every team gets one they're like the highest quality they have like 90 bucks it's out of control but they pull one out they put one out that was 
the 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 brownie elf was the front of it and i was like oh i kind of like that i sent it to the guys over at our obr staff i was like i'm not really team elf but i'm into this sweatshirt and i'm telling you not a day later they took it down fanatics and all of them and they they replaced it with a script browns and like these three weird browns patch logos down the left sleeve you can find it on fanatics like i was pretty bummed about that so i think that was the moment where i'm like i think i've moved over to team elf like i think it's a good i think the modern one is a good little look and you know it'll look good on midfield people can laugh at it all they want but just win football games that's all that matters and people won't laugh so um you know there's weird logos everywhere man the texans have a just a, a weird uh, steer you know like there's weird logos everywhere that that uh people seem to just over overwrite or just not pay attention to so um i mean the i'm not take the not dolphins logo slander. used to no, no slam. The Dolphins used to have their dolphin wearing a football helmet, you know? Like Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah, there's no there's nothing. People that are like, "Oh my god, an elf." It's like, "Yeah, man, it's a made up like most of the logos are absurd." So, um yeah. glad to the have Bengals you on used to elf. just have the, the Bengals used to just have a script Bengals on the helmet, you know? Like Yeah. yeah. It's just the uniforms are weird and logos are weird and but I'm I'm cool with the elf. I think it's going to be fine. But I'm glad I'm glad we uh glad we put that to bed it's gonna look good it's gonna look good on tv i'm just happy we have a midfield logo again personally so yeah i'm into that no, so I, uh... trap trap game or not for you this is huge they go to two and oh first time since i don't know 93 94 something like that and and like winning a home opener and a regular season opener in the same season that would that would be huge for morale for that thursday night game there's a lot riding on this i don't think i think it's too early to have a trap game personally uh, especially with the vibe of like wanting to win your home opener. But I am always uneasy when your team is favored the way the Browns are favored at this moment, which I think is like six points. Yeah, um, I agree with you. I don't think it's a trap game. I think the Browns are. So I think the Browns are a level above the Jets in a way that they're not going to allow it to be a trap game. And I also like I think after watching what Miles Garrett and Jadeveon Clowney did to Baker, um, I think they're going to have an absolute another feast uh, with a less mobile, not that, you know, not like Baker's the most mobile dude in the world, but he, you know, he ran for title. We've, we've all seen what Baker can do and he, and he can escape the pocket. Uh, they're going to have a less mobile quarterback back there. Um, uh, a, a statue of a man, if you will, Jake, hanging out behind the pocket. So I think even if they struggle offensively, which I think they're going to continue to do, especially throwing the ball. Um, and we were, you know, we, we talked about briefly before we came on, like Sauce Gardner played his ass off. Um, he, he appears to be as advertised, I think, um, is it DJ Reed? Who's their other corner? Um, yeah, he's, he's they, played well too. Yeah. Yeah. They had, they were graded, they graded out as some of the best cornerbacks, uh, cornerback tandem, uh, in week one. So I think the Browns, you know, are going to have their issues again in, in the passing game, but I think it's going to be similar to the Carolina game, Jake, where, you know, even if they're not putting up 30 points, um, I think defensively, it, God willing, they don't have any more blown coverages because I might lose in my mind if they have another one. I can't do it anymore. But I think defensively, they have a they have a chance to really, really shut down an offense that I think one is still sort of finding its footing, and then two is having you know Joe Flacco back there. So um, I I don't think it's a trap game. I don't think the Browns are going to allow it to be one. And I think I think they go to two and zero, Jake. I really do. I think so too. I think so too. It might not be as pretty as you want it to be, but expectations should be for it to not be pretty. Can they get to 24 points? 24-13 should be the type of game they should be playing right now. That's the score you probably would have had in Carolina if you don't beat yourselves. Like 
just don't beat yourselves. They got they they I'll give the Jets credit. They do have wide receiver talent. They're they're real, but you just need to maintain windows, keep it tight, barrel down the pocket, and make Joe Flacco make a bunch of throws. I promise he'll throw some to us uh, in in the mix of all those throws. So, yeah, we'll talk more about how to beat the Jets in the coming days and a little bit deeper dive about how to uh you know what what their personnel looks like from people who cover the team. So you'll have more about who the Browns have coming up Sunday, but it's a great opportunity to go to 2-0. And listen, as far as debut episodes go, Jordan, I'm putting this at the tippy top uh, of anyone out there uh, covering wow. football at all. I'm putting it in the pedestal. Like, this is as good as it gets, wow. guys. If this is what you can expect on your Thursdays, this is pretty good late-week football jargon for you here, brother. Listen, thanks, Jordan. We uh, we appreciate you coming on. This will be a fun, fun uh, run of episodes this year. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Fun to chat about league stuff. It's always fun to... Uh to poke around and see what everybody else is up to. So this will be this will be really fun moving forward. It will. We're excited to have Jordan. We're pumped to have him all year. So huge thanks to him. We will have these shows for you for your Thursday consumption throughout the year, talking about the league, talking about the past game, the next game, and I think doing a, a pretty good job for where it's at in the point of the week and covering a bunch of different topics. So thanks to Jordan for coming on. Thanks to you for hanging out and joining the show today. Thanks for continuing to support this podcast. As I say all the time, it means everything to me. And I know Jordan uh, appreciates it as well as you join on these Thursdays. So thanks, guys. We'll be back tomorrow with an episode with John Colosimo. Until then, appreciate you and your time. And go Browns. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.